What is going on, everybody? Welcome back again to the Varsity Breakdown Podcast. This is the week two recap, as now we have all of our teams who have at least played one game this season. We had some uh, this past week that picked up victories, some that lost some close matchups, and actually had some that were some big surprises. But let's get right on to it, man. Welcome in, Loop. It's great to have another week of uh, football under our belts as uh, when we get into that game of the week with Post and Butte. That's going to be a good one to talk about. But let's start off with our Thursday night games as we had the Maricopa Rams hosting the McClintock Chargers. How did that one turn out uh, for the Rams? That game unfortunately turned out to be a loss for the Rams. But there were some real good bright spots. One, if you look at the final score, the final score to that game was 58-31. to 31. 31 points. That tells me that the Maricopa Rams and Jose Cardona were able to put 31 points of offense on the board. And that's great because that's something that I wasn't expecting myself. So even though they did take an L, you can actually see the progression in this team just by the final score alone. What, what did you see in the stats or in the numbers that, that caught your attention? Um, You said it uh, yourself. Jose Cardona threw for over 200 yards and had one touchdown pass. And I think throughout the game, as I was keeping track of it, it was a very close game up until like late in the third quarter where McClintock kind of ran away with it. So that just tells me that now the Rams have the ability to stay in ball games. All they have to do is finish that game, especially in the second half, and not allow it to uh, get away from them. Uh, one thing that I want to touch on is their efficiency on rushing. Colton Richardson had three carries for six yards, but in those three carries, he was able to manage two touchdowns. So even though he wasn't the every down back, he was able to contribute big with those two touchdowns. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, those are going to be crucial. We didn't know uh, how Maricopa was going to come out in this game. We talked about, you know, how they were last year, just being a spread offense and trying to sling the ball downfield. And to see them incorporate some run game throughout the course of this game, it speaks wonders. And I think that as the season progresses and when Maricopa starts getting into these region matchups, they now have a good opportunity to pick up some wins and possibly make a name for themselves here in the 5A Sonoran region because I think that this is the best fit for them right now. It's a region that a lot of teams are trying to improve the culture of their teams and start making a winning culture around here. So I think that this game for Maricopa, even though they gave up 58 points, hopefully this is something they can carry uh, into next week as well. Yeah, and I'm hoping that same type of efficiency can carry over with their QB1 as well. Jose Cardona was someone that I wasn't really sure what he was going to be able to produce this season, but in this first game alone, I, I understand why they were able to go with the decisions they made when it came down to their quarterback, and hopefully it pays off for them in the form of a win this season. They have plenty of chances to do it. We, we've gone over our picks, and, and Maricopa on both sides has been able to come up with at least a, a collective of three or four wins between me, you, Chris, and Rodney. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Maricopa does this week. We'll talk about that later. But let's move into the next Thursday night game. This was a game that actually you were able to attend as a spectator. This game was between the Coolidge Bears and 
and the Ben Franklin Chargers. What were some things that stood out to you in that game? Because the final score to that game was zero to six. Was this a was this a game of pure defense? Was this a game of just inefficient offense? Paint the picture for us. So first off, I'll say Coolidge had such an amazing defense that night. Uh, they had a couple of uh, turnovers. Um, I believe it was Jaleel Bishop and uh, Wanye Brookshire who picked up some interceptions. Uh, early on in the first half, they had a goal line stand and uh, and um, and was also able to stop uh, the Chargers on uh, uh, some key fourth down plays. So their defense came to play. Now, when it comes to the other end of the ball, and it's funny how you see the quick switch when it comes to uh, Coolidge's offense. They're, you know, the week one against Sabino, they were able to put up 28 points and break off for some big runs against what some would consider a top five or if not even a top three uh, school here in the 3A. But then you come in and play a, a team like Ben Franklin. Coolidge had plenty of opportunities to try to win this game, especially with the effort of their defense. But it seemed like their offense was very stagnant. Uh, you know, uh, early on, uh, Salim uh, Sesma uh, got hurt, and unfortunately, he might be missing the rest of the season with a foot injury, you know. So I hope he's doing well first off and that he's uh, going to be able to recover. And I know he's a baseball guy as well and be uh, be able to uh, make it in time to start training for that. Mm-hmm. But I think what ultimately hurt Coolidge was – they went to that wing T offense that they ended up going to uh, against Sabino. But the problem was you're playing a team who runs that same style of offense. So they were ready for Coolidge whenever it came to that. Uh, Coolidge, unfortunately, wasn't able to create any type of offense. Uh, I believe they completed two passes for five yards when uh, Wanye uh, had to come in uh, as the third string quarterback. And then... There was no rush whatsoever. There was no run game. And so it was like really surprising to see that with the amount of talent that they have at running back, they were not able to not only create uh, some offense, but not even get across the 50. That was a big surprise for me. So I don't know right now what is going on as far as Coolidge's offense the defense is ready to play. You know, they regrouped really well after giving up 55 points uh, to Sabino. But now it's the offense that they don't really have an identity. Without a quarterback, you know, you had to go down to your third-string quarterback and not being able to uh, create some holes for your running backs, it seems like they don't have an identity when it comes to that offense. What was the emotion on the sideline like? Were they actively talking? Was it silent? Because one thing that I noticed during the Sabino game was there was plenty of action and and talking in the beginning of the game and in the middle of the game, hardly any communication. And that was even really troublesome for me because even in times where they were making the game competitive, you mentioned it in the last uh, episode where the game was 24 or 28, excuse me, to 14, and there was still not enough, excuse me for using a baseball term, but there wasn't enough chatter on that sideline 
for them to even get motivated to score, I feel. Was that the case in this game as well? That was the case from the beginning of the game. You know, uh, me as a person who played football and you either have a player or a coach or somebody to hype you up before the game where you circle up and, you know, you got you got that person over there chanting and you're chanting right back with them and you're building that. Coolidge didn't come out with that. They came out very flat. You know, uh, they came out after the national anthem, walked out, literally was on the sideline stretching until the captains were called. And, you know, when they, uh, you, you've seen it multiple times. After the uh, coin toss and everything's done, they run back to their team and everybody just hypes up in, you know, a big circle before they go and uh, do the kickoff. There's nothing like that with Coolidge right now. And so it's kind of disappointing when you know you have a lot of leadership on that team where no seniors, no star players are rallying up their, their team. I saw a team that fought hard, don't get me wrong, you know, and I know uh, I've heard, uh, you know, some words around that, you know, a lot of players were feeling under the weather. That may have played a factor into it. You know, I know that uh, Coolidge was without their center, but at the same time, there is no, there's no hype. There's no excitement to be able to play football. I know it was a Thursday night, but just to be able to play football with your buddies and try to pick up a victory and Unfortunately, like like I said, they just came out so flat, and it was it's very concerning because I I don't know what it's gonna take. We preach it every year with this team as to who is gonna be that person to step up. You've seen Jordan Johnson step up, uh, you know, as a voice, but it's only on the field. Where is the voice among the rest of the team on the sideline? It can't be one or two guys. It has to be everybody, no matter if you're a senior, junior, sophomore, if you're making your first start that night, it doesn't matter. Hold your teammates accountable to stay uh, locked in the game, and they had it, dude. They Literally, it was right there for the taking, and just ultimately, like I said, they felt flat, they ran out of gas, and, and wasn't able to pick up the victory. And that's unfortunate because – this was a game that you were actually keeping me updated with and the fact that they weren't even able to put up a touchdown, them not able to even make it past the 50-yard line, even way more concerning. We got messages from players, from previous players as well that were actually at the game that were saying that that was probably the most unconventional game that they've seen because they did not expect that type of stagnant offense. From an outsider's perspective, we talked about this you know, in, in private, I, I want the best for the Bears, but right now I don't know what the best is. There's there's so many question marks with them as far as who's going to lead the team, who's the quarterback. There's Other than Jordan, who is a vocal leader on the team, one thing that I want to see behind that, that vocalism and that, that strong charisma is put that same effort in into your routes, put that same effort into your catches. You got, you gotta, you gotta be active on the sidelines. You gotta be a little bit more vocal than the short conversations that you have with your teammates or your buddies that you're really just close with on the sideline. And that's that's my only advice to the Bears is, is have that initiative and push forward. And you gotta have that confidence. And they're gonna need it uh, this next week as it's gonna be a very big game that we'll talk about here later on. But let's move into our Friday matchups. And go into our game of the week. Let's start off there. 
which was the Micah Mountain Thunderbolts and the Post and Butte Broncos. Micah Mountain ended up winning the game uh, 34 to 28. But what a great battle that was. Uh, you know, last year, Post and Butte won 40 to 0. Of course, we both had Post and Butte winning that game. Mm-hmm. But Micah Mountain definitely showed up. But I was impressed with both teams. What about yourself? I was definitely impressed by both teams. One thing that I got to say, even before we get into breaking down the game coverage, I want to say a huge thank you to their athletic director, Mr. Lawrence Williams, and Coach Dane Thompson. Um, The space that we were provided in order to broadcast the game was, in lack of better words, immaculate. (laughs) And the, the fact, we talked about this afterwards too, the fact that Coach Thompson, even after a, a really tough loss, it was a back-and-forth game, made the time to come up to the booth and just chop it up with us and say, hey, thank you for coming. Thank you for broadcasting the game. The, the effort that those boys gave out there was tough. The, the toughest part for me was trying to determine who was I going to give those, those helmet decals to because yeah. there were a lot of players that stood out on both sides. And, and that was apparent as soon as I got out onto the field, I was able to take a few photos before the game actually kicked off of both the Broncos and the Thunderbolts. And just that feel, that electricity that was on the field between both teams. And there wasn't any animosity between the two. Another thing that I want to highlight is the sportsmanship. Mm -hmm. The hits were hard and the, the competitive nature was definitely on 10 and above. But when players got hit, players got tackled or whatever. There was no spiteful plays that people were helping each other. There was very little unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. And, and that was a great thing to see for me. What were some things to you that really stood out in that game? Cause like I said, it was, it was a very exciting game. It would have to be the pass game for a uh, post and Butte um, Mason Lloyd, you know, to come in and his ability to not only make some, big throws, but also run the read option, you know, to allow him to either hand it off to the running back or keep it himself. He was so dialed in with that offense. I was really impressed, and I was actually pretty shocked to see that Coach Dane Thompson would go with that much pass game, uh, especially here in the first game of the season. I Mm -hmm. thought they were going to utilize the run a lot, but that wasn't the case. He kind of kept it balanced and allowed uh, Mason uh, to uh, do his thing. And unfortunately, uh, Mason uh, went down with a couple of times with some some cramps, as a a lot of uh, players did uh, that night. But it was just the fact that their offense, you know, kind of shocked me a little bit, and they have the ability – to make some big plays, not only in the run game. You saw uh, Tarad Kisto with a big 60-yard run. Big, but, big you know, uh, Tristan uh, Wenta, for him to make that sideline catch, uh, you know, I'm sure people have seen that video uh, uh, quite a bit, you know, with Post and Butte sharing that and, you know, myself as well. It just made me feel good about what is going to happen on that offense uh, for uh, Post and Butte. Now, the defense – I thought they struggled a little bit as far as the run game goes. They did really good in their pass coverages and were able uh, to make some plays. Um, But big uh, number 44, uh, Colbert, for uh, Micah Mountain, he was a big boy to stop, you know, and it kind of you've seen the post and butte get gassed a little bit, but it's going to happen that first game. I think if they can tidy up that uh, uh, run-stop defense, they're going to be just fine, you know, and 
I think out of everything, even though he got 12 tackles on defense, Ja'Kai Robertson is just like a Devin Hester when it comes to the special teams game. I mean, he brings such a dynamic. I wouldn't even say he plays a specific position. He's just an athlete. If that I would lay, yeah, yeah. He, he's just, he was my impact player. And, you know, you saw that not only on the defense, but every time he touched the ball on special teams, it was kind of like, you know what, brace yourself because he's, he's uh, going to break one here soon. And he almost did. There was so many times where he was able to break tackles and, and make defenders look foolish. Like on that first run, I think I was actually just talking about how he was looking forward to that game. And I couldn't even talk about the things that we talked about at Hype Night because he had already ran it down for a touchdown. And it, it was a great experience to actually see them after the game as well. Even after a tough loss, Ja'Kai was in great spirits, you know. And the fact that he wasn't too beat up, he, he knew that he had gave it his all, and he knows that this post and Broncos team is going to be just fine. Oh, yeah. The one thing that I will add to a concerning factor, a kicker. Something that stood out to me in the game and even on the comments of the stream, there was some concern about the kicking, why they had to constantly run it in for two or, or or try to you know convert two after every touchdown. That would have been a big difference in this game being a six-point game and a three-point game. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I, I kind of did them a misservice by not paying attention in the beginning of, of pregame to see what their kicker was like, to see if, if there was some like jitters or if there was any type of concerns there. But I'm definitely curious to seeing what they're doing on Friday night. Yeah, it's it's kind of like how we felt about college last year, you know, not having that kicker. It's kind of like you live, or, live and die by it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the two-point conversions. And sometimes with a close game like that, that can uh, be turn out to uh, be a success. And sometimes it can turn out to be an Achilles heel. But either way it goes, I'm proud of uh, Post and Butte for the fight that they uh, displayed. And I got to give my kudos to Micah Mountain, as I think both teams, uh, you know, as the season progresses, they're both going to be have a chance to uh, make the playoffs and make a good run here in the 4A. And speaking of Micah Mountain, there were a ton of players that showed out on their side, like number one, Jimmy Leone, the big interception and to run it back in for a touchdown. That was a huge play. He was a factor on both sides of the ball as well. And there were so many others on the Micah Mountain side, Thorson, he was he was having a great game. And then being able to be on the field after the game and feel that excitement from that team that they had after that win. Like and a to, redemption almost. Exactly. And to hear the words of Thorson after the game, you know, telling the team that it, this was a team win, that everybody was responsible for this, and that change, it, you know, it was big on them. And there's there. This is going to be a really big season for Mike Mount. I think that not only is it going to be a big season for them as far as you know being more successful than they were last year. This is a team that I see that's going to get far in the playoffs. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on uh, them the rest of the season. But let's move on into uh, some two way action as we had Arte Prep visiting ALA Anthem South. And Arte Prep uh, ended up picking up the victory, thirty-five to zero. So another shutout when it comes to ALA Anthem South. Uh, still 
having picked up a touchdown here. Unfortunately, they don't have any stats uh, inputted, so I can't really see what they did on the offensive end. But if you look at Arte Prep, their quarterback threw for 219 yards and four touchdowns. So definitely a um, a team that aired it out. I mean, they had two receivers catch the ball the whole game who combined uh, to catch 11 passes for the 219 yards. So I think as you look at it, we've said it from the beginning, it's going to be a tough year for ALA Anthem South. Did you expect it to start off this rough for them? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't expect RTA Prep to actually have that much of an effective aerial attack, especially with them being a two-way team. We, we usually see these two-way and three-way teams generally sharpening their run games. But for them to have over 200 yards in the air and have that much success in their pass game as in game one, in game two, is a good sign. But then you also got to be realistic and look at the team that they're playing against. We don't know what ALA Anthem South's uh, secondary is like uh, based on this score. It, it, it could be very porous. That's something that we can look forward to them improving on this season. And I know that it's going to be a long season for them, but they got to definitely keep their head up and look forward to scoring that touchdown on the varsity level for the first time in 2A. Well, let's go into another uh, two-way uh, team. And that's going to be the Sequoia Pathway Pumas who traveled down uh, to Benson to take on the Bobcats and unfortunately uh, picked up a loss there, losing 62-6. to We know uh, Benson had dropped their game last week to Bisbee. And it goes to show just how young Sequoia Pathway is going to be this year. Um, I mean, giving up 62 points. We know that uh, they struggled with Benson a couple years ago. Uh, when we went down and seen them in the playoffs, Benson is not a walkover team by any means, even though they dropped their first game. But is this something we need to get used to when it comes to uh, the Pumas this year? I hate to say it, but yeah, this is this is going to be the harsh theme for the purple and gold this season. Uh, it's not going to be a, a season for them to hang their heads as well. Um, you look at Trey Atkins was able to complete six out of 21. He was able to scathe away with one touchdown. Granted, they weren't able to, to complete on the point after attempt, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the Pumas improve. They had two players return from last year's team. Those two players didn't really have a lot of playing time. So, it's going to be an uphill battle for the Pumas, and all they got to do is just keep their heads high and stay a competitive team. If 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 they can believe in themselves, they'll be able to be a, a, a more competitive team than this score will show you. And they're going to have some opportunities, I believe, later on where they have some games where they're going to play some teams that are a little bit in their level. I don't think Benson is one of those teams. I will always say Benson is one of the better 2A teams, so... Hopefully they can rebound from this one as they go into uh, next week's game. Yeah, calling them above average is an insult. But let's go into our last two-way game as it was the Santa Cruz Valley Dust Devils hosting the Trivium Prep Knights. And this one was one that Santa Cruz had to come from behind and uh, pick up the victory. But ultimately they did and won 16-12. to 
What were your uh, initial thoughts on this game when we had to find out that the Dust Devils had to play from behind? I was very surprised, especially when we made the trip out to Trivium Prep last year to watch them play the Pumas. A complete 180. Them against the Pumas, the Pumas were very dominant in that game. Granted, they had a lot to play for. They made the Crimson Knights look bad. And now when it was halftime in our broadcast and we're looking into the, the, the halftime scores of the games going around the county, and we look and we see that Trivium Prep is up on Santa Cruz, that was very concerning because we were under the assumption, I'll say, that Santa Cruz was levels above Trivium Prep. And for Trivium Prep to come out, especially in the first quarter, quickly to get those 12 points and Santa Cruz not being able to return until the second quarter, that was a little unusual for me. But the fact that they were able to to stall them out in the third quarter and come out in the fourth quarter and be able to make a miraculous play to end up winning the game, I will definitely tip my hat to the Santa Cruz Dust Devils on that win. Oh, yeah, you got to find any way to try to pick up a victory, especially if you're playing from behind. And you know what? That's what good teams are made of is like you're facing that adversity. How can you withstand the attack from uh, Trivium Prep and still pick up a victory? And they did. They made a big play, uh, I heard, on defense that kind of set them up to uh, get that uh, go-ahead touchdown uh, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, we don't have uh, any stats uh, inserted from the Dust Devils, so can't really uh, see who to spotlight from that game. But at the same time, uh, I, they did give up 143 yards rushing, so that might be something that they're going to look to improve on uh, next week as they have a big rivalry game. But uh, at the same time, like I said, uh, hats off to uh, the Dust Devils for uh, sneaking that one out, and they're going to take that momentum going into uh, next week's game. Let's jump into the 3A conference. This was a game that was very surprising to us because we actually, I got this game wrong in prediction, but you got this game right in the the surprise uh, pick. Yeah, the surprise pick. This game was between the Douglas Bulldogs and the ALA Ironwood Warriors. The final of this game was 2-28, a game where the Warriors smashed on the Bulldogs. What do you think was a key factor for the Warriors being able to come away victorious in this one? Well, number one, you got to give it up to their defense so far this season. You know, they've given up a total of eight points in two games. Very unheard of, you know, especially when you're playing a team week one like Marinci and then uh, playing a 4A team. And like I said, Douglas is an improved 4A team. They're not an elite team yet, but to hold a 4A team, a division higher than you, to only two points where their only points came on the defensive side, it says a lot as to what this defense is really made of. And it could be scary for some 3A teams if they're able to keep this up. But I will also want to give uh, big kudos to uh, Jet Brewster, uh, he he uh, went six for ten for uh, seventy four yards and a touchdown, but he also rushed for one hundred and thirty nine yards and two touchdowns. So some big things coming uh, from the quarterback this year. We weren't sure how things were going to be with Connor Malt finally graduating and moving on, 
But Jet Brewster uh, not only getting it done in the air, but definitely on the ground as well. Yeah, definitely a dual-threat quarterback. And this is something that the Warriors needed. The Warriors aren't necessarily a historically good team. Uh, That's for a lack of better terms. But this might be the year where those talks turn around. They have a very good team this year. We saw that improvement during the Coolidge uh, 7-on-7 tournament. The, The Warriors are here to play. I am very curious to see what they do this week. And I'm hoping that it's another possible victory for ALA Ironwood. And you know what? Sometimes it's the change of coach that can bring a different culture and create some positivity when it comes to this team. And Coach Dawson right out the gate is 2-0. and And right out the gate, uh, Coach Dawson has picked up a big win. And, you know, they lost that close one to Marenzi 6-0. to So I'm excited just as much as you are to see what uh, ALA Ironwood can do. The rest of the 3A teams we'll get into later on because they actually played on Saturday. Let's hop into the 4A. Peoria played Apache Junction to a game where the Panthers walked away with a win, 41-16. to Was the final score to this game very surprising to you or something that you were thinking that it was going to be on par with? Uh, no, it was actually very surprising to me. I thought... Apache Junction still had a lot left returning in order to make a good run this year. You know, I thought Peoria was a team on the come up, but for the prospectors to get dominated like that, it's very concerning. I mean, it's only the first game, but at the same time, uh, we had just learned uh, that Friday that they're no longer have a uh, running back Isaiah Savoy, who was a big part of that rushing attack. And even though, uh, uh, De Leon uh, rushed for 119 yards, and they were still able to get 182 through the air. It didn't seem like that was enough, uh, you know, for the prospectors. And so I'm just wondering, you know, is it more of a defensive thing or that their offense can't put up enough points and their defense is having to get out on the field quite early? I would definitely say it, it would have to be the effect on their rushing game. Because you mentioned it earlier, the the fact that they don't have that big workhorse in Isaiah Savoy in their backfield, it's definitely opened up the opportunities for other players, but it has hindered their ability to put up yards and touchdowns on the ground. Now the prospectors are going to have to find a a totally new identity to what's going to make this team be not only competitive, but maintain that image of a very scrappy team oh without a doubt and you have to give it up to Peoria you know especially quarterback uh, Dominic Kramer the kid threw for 365 yards and five touchdowns so he had such a big night I'm just hoping now we'll see uh, if the prospectors can rebound uh, this upcoming week because if not it might be a long season uh, you know it's something we're not used to when uh, talking about Apache Junction But let's go on into our other 4A game, which was Desert Sunrise traveling down to Glendale and ultimately losing 56-7. What are your thoughts as far as what the score says here? I I, I feel for Desert Sunrise. It's tough because they're getting blown out right now. But one thing that I'm looking forward to is the game when we're actually going to be able to broadcast them on the 
Grand Canyon Gridiron Road Tour, um, I'm curious to see what they look like on the sidelines, how they are able to accept that defeat. Are they vocal? Are they the type of players that hang their heads? Are they the type of players that are going to talk crap? You know, what kind of team are we dealing with? Mm -hmm. I doubt it'll be the latter because we were able to see the type of talent and class that this team has on it during the seven-on-seven. I'm just in anticipation waiting for them to find their spark, find that game where they're able to put more than one touchdown on the board, where they're, they're able to make that chemistry click, and it shows. And one of the things I want to uh, try to see is just how many players are sitting out right now that would possibly be starters due to uh, them transferring. You know, we know uh, Vinny Sanchez is going to be out for the first five games of the year. How much of an impact are those players playing on this team? And is that why you see them struggling, you know, against a team like Glendale? Glendale's, a, uh, you know, a good team. Uh, definitely a tough opponent, especially your first game of the year. But how much is that going to impact through the first half of this season? And will they be able to ride the ship? I don't see any stats uh, inputted for Desert Sunrise, but if you look at some of the Glendale uh, stats, you have their quarterback who went 10 for 10 for 107 yards and three touchdowns, and they rushed for close to uh, 280 yards on the ground. So it's a tough uh, first game for Desert Sunrise, but like you said, I want to see what type of team uh, that they are and how they're going to rebound, especially with how young they have to be with players not being able to play at the moment. But we have two more 4A games uh, for you, and we'll start with the Combs Coyotes as they hosted the Catalina Foothills Falcons. The Falcons ended up picking up the victory 20-16. to I think that this was a big surprise for me, especially when we talked about the depth for Combs. Mm-hmm. Would uh, you definitely agree with that, or did you think Catalina Foothills has definitely improved? Both. There, there was a lot of surprise on, on my side when I saw that Catalina Foothills was hanging with them. Um, when you hear that name Catalina, you think of either the Trojans or you think of the Falcons. Now, the Catalina Foothills Falcons have accepted this new identity where they're a no-nonsense team. They're coming into your town looking to get a win and do it really quickly and then bounce. The The Fountain Hills Falcons in this game played a really tough game. And to do it against a team like Combs, it, Combs was a team last year that was really hard-nosed, had, you said it earlier, had a lot of depth and was quick to have that next man up mentality. They weren't quite able to show that in this game. But again, I just think that shows on the improvement of Catalina Foothills. We were actually able to see a little bit of that action based on some of the photos that were actually shot and put on social media. Shout out to Lana Flicks for being able to post the photos of the Falcons and Coyotes in that game. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. The Falcons looked great out there, not only in the photos and in their uniforms, but if you look at the numbers, it tells a pretty picture as well, right? Well, I don't have any stats for the Falcons, so I can't really analyze them as far as what they did against Combs. But if I'm going to take something from Combs that is 
out of character, I would say, from what they did last year. It's in the past game. You know, uh, their quarterback uh, went five for eight, but for only 19 yards. So for them not to uh, have that aerial attack that they did last year, I mean, they did still rush for about 70 yards, but that was one of the biggest things that they had with uh, Tanner Hale uh, last year and uh, Hunter Clare and being the top receiver. Without having that now, is that something that we need to be focused on when it comes to uh, the Combs' offense? Because I still thought, even though Catalina was an improved team, that Combs still had enough to possibly pick up the victory. But unfortunately, they felt, fell a little bit short. And we'll try to see if uh, that's going to be the case when it comes to tonight's matchup as we're going to be able to uh, uh, see that live. Because these Thursday night games that have the varsity games on Thursday, it's actually helping us out because we get to go and watch it and kind of take a day off from, you know, doing social media or, you know, doing uh, broadcasting. broadcasting. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, check that one out tonight and who they'll be playing. But let's move on into uh, the last 4A game as it was the Vista Grande Spartans going down to Rio Rico to take on the Hawks. And the Spartans showed out on Friday night, picking up the victory 44-0. to How do you feel that the Spartans did to kick off their season? I feel that the Spartans did excellent. That's the way you want to start the season. So what that does is get me more excited for our game of the week tomorrow. Getting able to go up to Tucson, our first game out in Southern Arizona, I'm looking forward to see to see what kind of competition the Pueblo Warriors are able to provide and if the Vista Grande Spartans are going to keep that same swagger and go into Pueblo and do exactly what they're saying in the comments section and bring the smoke. And you got to be able to love that Fernando Moya is finally healthy. I know last year he missed some time uh, with an ankle injury, but uh, he rushed for 115 yards and a touchdown. And then you had Darius Brown, who uh, rushed just two times, but had a 62-yard rush and also uh, punched one in for a touchdown. But one of the key things, I think, for the Spartans is quarterback Brendan Hunt, who uh, threw for three touchdown passes and had 117 yards. But normally last year, you've seen a split quarterback formation when it came to the Spartans. You know, you had Darnell Castro back there. You had Brendan Hunt uh, kind of splitting uh, reps there. So to see that Brendan got all of the snaps tonight and Darnell has now transitioned to wide receiver, it's going to be something good uh, for the Spartans, especially uh, when they start playing uh, these uh, tougher uh, 4A games. I didn't expect anything less from the Spartans. I do feel Rio Rico is one of those teams that is looking to improve. But like you said, you got to go in there, take care of business and uh, make a statement. And I think they did just that. Now, hopefully they'll continue that momentum into uh, their Friday night game. Let's wrap up Friday with our only 5A game. This was a very emotional game. The score is very surprising, but also a very good sign for both teams. The Casa Grande Cougars played the Corona del Sol Aztecs to a contest that ended 0-14 to that had the Aztecs walking away as winners. What were some things that stood out to you in this game, and what was something that 
didn't surprise you in this game? Um, I'd say first off the score. You know, um, I'm not surprised that the Cougars uh, struggled to find the end zone. I mean, they're playing a very tough 6A team who I assume is going to be a deep playoff team in 6A or even considered for the open tournament. So for them to only give up 14 points uh, against what some would consider a powerhouse uh, 6A school, I'm very proud of them in, as far as that aspect goes. I think where they kind of lost control of the game was uh, from uh, Corona Del Sol's uh, passing attack. Uh, their quarterback threw for 359 yards, so I'm sure that's where a lot of, of the uh, yardage came from. But at the same time, you held a 6A team to only 14 points. What about yourself? Was there something on the Cougars' uh, offensive end or defensive end that kind of stood out to you? The fact that they were able to test out their aerial attack against the Aztecs. If you look at Fatty's passing stats, he completed 18 for 38 attempts. So he was able to sling it almost 40 times in that game. And even though he did walk away from that game with one interception, that is a lot of attempts to go out there and actually sling that ball. And it's only a matter of time before the chemistry between him and his, excuse me, his receiving core are actually is actually built up enough for them to connect on every pass, or if not every other pass. Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, it was good to see uh, some of their wide receivers step up that were not usually used to calling. I know this year they got Jacob Salinas out there, and I've heard when that kid has – and I've heard that kid has some amazing hands, and it showed uh, he had 52 yards receiving. So seeing that Fatty's able to uh, air the ball out a little bit more than what he was probably used to last year and still having some great receivers out there to help him out, it's all only good signs. I mean, when you think about it, when we went over their, their schedule, this was the only game where I thought they had the biggest test. And it's good that it came the very first game of the season because it's only going to prep them and get them ready for this 5A competition, especially in their region where I think they have a great chance to possibly win that region. So I'm, I'm very impressed on what I saw game one. Let's not forget to mention, you still have the Banks brothers. I didn't see any stats in there from them. So I'm assuming they're probably sitting out their five games from transferring. Mm-hmm. So once they get those guys back, you know what type of impact they're going to make. And um, I think it's only going to, and I think we're only going to see improvements when it comes to the Cougars and what they do this year. Definitely. And one thing I'd like to highlight again is a player that a lot of coaches in colleges have their eye on is Avion Williams. Avion was able to get four receptions and walk away with 44 yards. They weren't able to get a touchdown and punch anything in, but the fact that they were able to find their rhythm in offense, in order for them to just put this behind them and look forward to what's coming this Friday, it's just a matter of mindset. Well, let's go into our two Saturday games as both teams of ours got to travel up to uh, the walk-up dome up at NAU. And let's start off with the Santan Foothill Sabercats as they uh, took on the Tempe Buffaloes, and they bounced back this week, uh, picking up a victory 23-14. to What were your thoughts uh, when you saw uh, the final score on this one? I was happy that it was a W for Santan. 
a little underwhelmed that it wasn't a bigger victory for Santan. In seasons past, the Tempe Buffaloes have proven to be a team that is easy to get points on. Things are different this time around. But I was a little bit concerned with them getting ahead of the Buffaloes and then also letting the Buffaloes believe that they can come back and win this game. Why don't you elaborate more on that? Yeah, uh, Santan Foothills jumped out. I believe it was 23-6 to in the first half. And um, they didn't score the rest of the second half. But at the same time, they had uh, some mistakes uh, that kind of hurt them, you know, uh, and stopped drives. And it allowed uh, Tempe to gain some momentum and ultimately getting another touchdown in the second half and making things pretty close Then I'm sure that coach Carlin would have wanted but at the end of the day what what we wanted was for them to bounce back how are you going to bounce back from that week one loss and even though it's not the statement win that they wanted they still picked up a victory and so I think some of the positive things that you can talk about is they were without David Rabaloth week one and the kid comes out and gets two big interceptions for his team on defense So you see that having him on the field, what type of leader he is and how his presence can be felt, not only on the offensive end, I believe as a receiver, but on the defensive end as a defensive back as well. So two big uh, interceptions there. And those are the things you're going to need, especially when it's a close-fought battle like that. Another player on the Sabercats side that I'll give kudos to is Dalton Norman. Dalton went six for nine with 64 yards, and was able to get a touchdown in through the air. The one thing that definitely was a problem to me was they were able to hold on, but they did not score in the second half at all. So that's something that they're definitely going to need to keep an eye on, and I'm pretty sure that they've harped on that all week. And going into this week, I don't see them making that same type of mistake where they get ahead and they look to, to be comfortable and allow the team to, you know, to get back in it because they can't afford to do that this week. Well, let's go into our final game of the week, which was an exciting one, and that was Valley Christian taking on the Florence Gophers. Valley Christian ended up coming out victorious 27-24, to but man, this was such a good game. What were your thoughts when you saw this final score? Or actually, when I told you what the final score was because I was able uh, to uh, catch the game on NFHS. And let me tell you, it did not disappoint. I was a little let down because I didn't get my way in terms of my prediction becoming right. But I was definitely happy to see that This was a fight for them to go back and forth, back and forth with Valley Christian, a team that you mentioned in the last episode is not Gilbert Christian. This is a team that is playoff tested and is generally in the discussions for one of the top teams in the conference. So for the Gophers to go out there and put up a winning effort, even though they lost, they put up a winning effort against a very good team in unfamiliar territory. They're up at NAU, not in Florence, they're not in Chandler playing, you know, in at Valley Christians Field. They had to take an even longer trip and to put that excitement into focus and put it out on the field. The Gophers did just that. 
they were just three points shy of tying this game, four points shy of winning this game, and they have nothing to be upset about. They can look forward to this next week and and look at what they did right in this past game and just capitalize on it. Well, I'll be the first one to sit here and admit that the Florence Gophers have made me believers. This was the game that I said was going to be the big test as to what type of team they were going to be this year. And let me tell you, this team is the real deal. You know, if you're the you're listening and you're in that 3A Central, keep this game circled when you uh, come across the Florence Gophers because the ability for Josh Jackson and Keenan Neal to be a one-two punch in the backfield. And then Logan Stenson, we know what type of quarterback he, he is. Very accurate with the ball. Went 8 for 11 with 111 yards. Unfortunately, he had the one interception uh, that he uh, threw in the end zone. But at the same time, these guys did not quit. They kept fighting until the very last whistle. And that's what I loved about them, both on offense and on defense. And uh, even though things got a little chippy uh, late late in the game where, you know, there was uh, some penalties thrown for uh, some late hits on uh, Logan and, you know, um, it looked like uh, there was going to be some ejections or something like that that happened when uh, Valley Christian uh, took a knee in the end zone, which ultimately became a safety uh, for Florence. Florence is definitely going to be a team that, the whole 3A has to not overlook when it comes to what they're going to do the rest of the season and when they get in the playoffs because they are a playoff caliber team. You know, Coach Hart is doing some great things over there. His staff has this team buying in each and every week that, you know what, even though they lost a lot of pieces last year, they are still just as good as they were last year, and they're going to be looking to go a lot further in the 3A playoffs. Yeah, they definitely are. One thing that I'm I'm excited for is the fact that our boy again, Nolan, is going to be following them the entire way and doing a great job with his videos. Between him and Raf and Santan, bro, it, it gets it gives me goosebumps watching the videos that these guys put together. And if I'm a player, that only motivates me more to not only get in the video, but to get a good hit in the video, to get a good catch in the video, to get an astonishing play that they'll not only remember forever, but it'll be etched in a video that is going to be crispy and clean by the editing styles of Nolan and Raph. Oh, without a doubt, man. It's exciting each and every week. And that's some of the things I look forward to when uh, I'm uh, getting messages on Instagram is like, okay, when are they going to tag us or something? Because I'm excited to see the product that they both put out. And each week it's just getting better and better but let's wrap things up let's go over our matchups uh here tonight uh we got two matchups um one of them got switched uh from friday to thursday due to a referee um issue and let's start off with the combs coyotes visiting the east mark firebirds how do you think this one plays out for the coyotes tonight oh this one's gonna be a tough one bro but if they're able to hang with Eastmark, a team that won the 3A state championship last year, this will be a very good year for the Combs Coyotes. But I hate to say it, I got to give an edge to the team that's not ours, and I got to say that Eastmark football takes this one. 
I'm going to give the edge uh, to Eastmark. I mean, they had a good battle with uh, Canyon de Oro uh, in week one, so I know that they're going to come in hungry to uh, pick up a victory and get their first uh, victory in the 4A. It just unfortunately has to come uh, from the Combs Coyotes. But I do want to see how uh, Combs responds, especially on the offensive end and how they're going to be able to uh, get their offense going, whether that's on the ground or through the air. Our other uh, Thursday night game, uh, we have Alhambra uh, visiting Desert Sunrise. So two programs that are looking to pick up a victory and kind of get their uh, programs uh, going in the right direction. Is this a game where you can see uh, Desert Sunrise pulling out? I think that this is a game where they'll actually get more than just a touchdown on the board. Whether or not they'll be able to, to, to walk away from this game with Alhambra with a win, it's going to take a lot of guts, bro. A lot of guts. For them to beat the Alhambra Lions in their first home game, nonetheless, it's going to require them to dig deep and put everything out there to do it. It's totally possible. There's nothing in this world that is impossible. As long as every single person on that team has that mindset that they're going to come away with a win and they can put that same effort onto the field, they'll do it. Okay, I like that. Uh, You know, I'm actually going to surprise you on this one. Uh, Alhambra lost to Sawarita 9-6 last week, a team that I said was going to struggle very bad, uh, speaking of Sawarita. And Sawarita was able to pick up a victory. I know we said we don't, I know we don't have uh, Desert Sunrise picking up a lot of victories just, you know, from them uh, having their first season. But I'm going to go with them tonight. And I'm going to say Desert Sunrise picks up a victory. And it it may be a close game. It might be another close one, like you said. But at the same time, I think they have enough to be able to edge it out here tonight. But let's move on into uh, our Friday games. And let's start with ALA Anthem South taking on Tanka Verde. How do you see this one playing out? Who are you giving the edge to? Edge got to go to Tanka Verde. There's very little knowledge of what the ALA Anthem South Titans possess as far as offensive weaponry and reliability, I'll say, because there's not a name that really stands out to me that says, like, yeah, this is the leader of that team. This is the anchor. So all props got to go to Tinka Verde. What about you? I'm going with Tinka Verde as well. I think they're experienced enough. I always say Tinka Verde is one of those teams that are going to beat the teams they should beat. And, you know, they just struggle against uh, better competition. But this is a team that they should beat on paper. So I'm going to go uh, with Tinka Verde. Let's uh, go into Sequoia Pathway traveling down to Veritas Prep. Veritas Prep comes in uh, 2-0 and on the season, and Sequoia Pathway 0-1. I got Veritas Prep taking this one, too. It's, it's going to be based off of the action from the Pumas last week. It's going to be uh, a, a pretty easy win for the Falcons this week. What do you think? Oh, I'm going with uh, Veritas as well. Um, I think they're a team that a lot of people are going to underestimate a little bit this year. You know, they – Picked up two quality wins, and just the inexperience with Sequoia Pathway right now is going to unfortunately be the downfall uh, for them uh, come Friday night. But let's move on into the 3A as we have LA 
Ironwood uh, traveling to Gilbert Christian. ALA Ironwood is at one and one. Gilbert Christian is zero and two. I got to go with ALA Ironwood. There's something that tells me that this is going to be a year for ALA Ironwood to right the ship and be the team that surprises everyone. Because when we looked at a lot of the predictions in the beginning of the year, nobody had ALA Ironwood in this position. A lot of teams had other teams to, to take this region. We'll say that all the kudos and points got to go with ALA Ironwood on this one on my side. What about you? I will say don't underestimate Gilbert Christian. I mean, they're a team that can be dangerous in their own right. I mean, they only lost to Florence by two touchdowns, so we know that they're competitive. But I'm loving that Warriors defense right now, and I know that that's going to be a big factor coming into Friday night's matchup. So I am as well going to take the Warriors to pick up the victory. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk about this next game between the Florence Gophers hosting the Safford Bulldogs. I got Florence taking the W in this one. What about you? Hey, when I said that I'm confident in them and uh, they proved me wrong, this is a top-tier uh, playoff team. I'm going to stick with them. And you know what? I'm going to have them uh, knocking off the Bulldogs and making uh, us uh, smile when it comes to uh, seeing Chris Kidney because I know he speaks a lot about that 3A South. But Florence is going to come in clutch, and I, I know that they want to uh, rebound after uh, dropping the game last week. All right. Well, let's stick around in that 3A region and talk about the Battle of the Santans. Santan Foothills at Santan Charter. Both teams are 1-1, one and one, so it's going to be a very exciting matchup nonetheless. Which Santan are you giving the edge to? Oh, man, this is a tough one, uh, you know, because I didn't expect uh, Santan Charter to get blown out by um, Scottsdale Christian. But at the same time, I still think Santan Foothills is trying to um, get things going as far as uh, the consistency goes. Mm -hmm. Um, So being that Santan Charter is at home, no, man, I got to go with I got to go with my Sabercats. Uh, I think that they're going to work things out. They're going to have a better game where, like you said, they need to close it out if they're ahead and not allow Santan Charter to stay in the game. So uh, I'm going to give uh, the Sabercats the edge there. What about yourself? Okay, I want, I'll say this. I want the Sabercats to win. One thing that w- we talked to Coach Carlin about and he said that he loves, he loves doubt. He loves turning that doubt into a good story. So I'm going to give the slight edge, and it's just a slight edge, to the Santan Charter Roadrunners. And if everything goes right, when we report on the next episode, we'll be talking about a Santan Foothills win. All right, let's uh, stay in the 3A Central as we have the Battle of Highway 87. We always talk about that small-town throwdown. And that's going to be the Santa Cruz Valley Dust Devils taking on the Coolidge Bears. How do you see this one playing out? Oh, I feel like we can talk about this one forever. But I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to give the edge to the Santa Cruz Dust Devils. What about you? Oh, man. Uh, This is going to be a tough one, especially with the struggles of Coolidge. You know, I do see uh, Santa Cruz. I know they had a couple... Of key injuries uh, last week. I don't know 
the health status of those two key players. But I think this is a game Coolidge has to win. They have the defense to stop the run of of Jonathan Ramos. They have the pieces to guard the receivers and not and of course they have that front four uh to be able to put some pressure on Nathan Harris. So if their offense comes to play, I think Coolidge can can pick up this victory. But that's if their offense comes to play. But at the same time, I'm gonna give the edge to Coolidge here. Biggest if for me or it's it's a matter of who it's gonna be Who's going to be the quarterback of this game for the Coolidge Bears? But we'll get into that when, when the game comes. All right, let's move into the 4A as you have Apache Junction traveling down to Arizona College Prep. Can the prospectors rebound on this one? No, not on this one. This one's going to be, this one's going to be rough. One thing that I've, I've learned about the AZ College Prep Knights is that they're a feisty group. It doesn't matter what sport it is. They are going to be a thorn in your side, whistle to whistle. So I got to give the edge completely to the AZ College Prep Knights. What about you? I'm going to roll with the the Knights as well. I think Apache Junction. Uh, I want to see some improvement, though. Hopefully they can keep this one closer. I just think that AZ College Prep, they have a great offense. They got a good quarterback, and it's going to be uh, tough to stop, especially if they struggled uh, stopping the Peoria quarterback last week. So I'll give the edge to AZ College Prep. All right. Well, let's jump into our next 4A game. It's going to be the post Butte Broncos taking the trip to meet the Copper Canyon Aztecs. Both teams started this season 0-1. Who do you have taking the first victory in this game? Oh, I'm going to get a post and Butte. I don't think uh, it's going to be close. Um, I think this is a game where they're going to be able to open up not only their pass game, but their rushing attack. Uh, you know, their defense is going to do their thing this week. Uh, you know, uh, Copper Canyon lost to Choya. We don't ever see, and it was only 7-0, to zero, but yeah. we don't ever talk about Choya when it comes to the positive things that they do. But I just think post and Butte is going to be too much for Copper Canyon. Yeah, based on when I looked at that score of, of who they ended up taking that loss to, when I saw that it was the Chargers, my eyebrows immediately went up and said, oh, okay, edge goes to Post and Butte. All right, before we get into our game of the week, let's jump into the 5A game as you have Nogales taking the trip to Casa Grande to take on the Cougars. Both teams sit at 0-1. Who's your edge going to there? You know who I'm going with. I got the Cougars on this one. No disrespect to the Apaches, but the Cougars, they, they already took their bumps in that first game. Now it's business from here on out. They have to put that foot down on the gas pedal and ride on out. No, I'm going to go with you. You know, I was uh, surprised to see how uh, much uh, Pueblo dominated Nogales last week. And after coming off that loss to uh, Corona del Sol, you know – that the first game at home, uh, the Cougars are going to want to show out, and I think that they're going to uh, put a show on for uh, the fans on Friday night. Oh, you know Al Van Hazel Stadium is going to be rocking. I can't wait. All right, let's move on into our other 5A game, which is going to be Brown taking on Maricopa. Do you think the Rams have a shot on this one? I think the Rams definitely have a shot on this one, but – I, if I'm if I'm being completely honest and transparent, I got to give the edge to the Bruins on this one. 
They they picked up their first win of the season last week against Ironwood, and I feel like they're going to continue that trend this week at the expense of the Maricopa Rams. What about you? Uh, I'm going to give the edge uh, to Brown as well. Um, I think that they have a little bit more, but I just want to see the continued effort from the Rams. Continue to build that offense. Uh, you know, Jose Cardona, um, continue to do your thing and, and slinging the ball. I know that I kind of doubted him, you know, as far as his size and stature goes. You know, coming into this season, he proved me wrong last week. I just hope that they're able to continue that and and keep things close. You know, that that was the key to last week is they let it slip away in the second half. Keep things close, and maybe they might sneak one out this week. That's the one thing that I feel like the Rams have to change is keep that same fire from first quarter to fourth quarter. I don't know what happens in the locker rooms at halftime where they get so lax and laid back and, and allow teams to just put them away, but that needs to change, and hopefully that does tomorrow. Well, now let's go into our game of the week uh, as we're going to be uh, broadcasting this game, taking our uh, first trip down to Tucson as we have the Vista Grande Spartans taking on the Pueblo Warriors. Both teams come in at 1-0. and Pueblo picking up a victory against Nogales. Vista Grande, we talked about beating Rio Rico. How do you see this one playing out? I got to go with, with, with our county team. I got to put all my confidence behind the Vista Grande Spartans. The, the Pueblo Warriors are, are a team that, like you said, got their first win, but I think that they're going to pick up their first loss, unfortunately, when they play the Spartans. What about you? Even though it was a 13-7 game last year, very close, I think Vista Grande has a lot of confidence coming into it uh, this year. You know, you talk about uh, Coach Roberts. He's spoken about being in uncharted territory. They don't know what it's like to be a team that is successful. Had the six-game win streak last year. Now we know the next goal is to make it to the playoffs. Well, this is uh, going to be a good little test to see if they are ready to make that next jump. And I'm going to give the edge to the Spartans on that one as well. Who is your player to watch in the Spartans uniform that you think is going to be a key contributor to their success? It got to be uh, Fernando Moria, man. That kid, since his freshman year, has been the centerpiece of what the Spartans do on the offensive end. I don't see it being any different this week, and uh, I just hope he has another big game. I do, too. I I got all the faith in the world behind number 21. All right, before we wrap up the show... Give me your no-doubter pick and your uh, sleeper pick of the week. Okay, my no-doubter is going to be Post and Butte beating Copper Canyon. And my upset, even though I said I gave the edge to Santa Cruz, my possible upset could be the Bears beating Santa Cruz. What about you? My no-doubter pick is going to be Tanka Verde over ALA Anthem South. The game that's going to be my sleeper pick, and just because even though this team is 0-2, they still are a dangerous team for any opponent they play. So I'm going to say keep an eye on that ALA Ironwood game versus Gilbert Christian. Gilbert Christian hangs around long enough, they might be able to sneak one out. So that's going to be my sleeper pick of the week. Interesting, but I'm pretty sure Jet Brewster would have something to say about that. Well, either way, we wish uh, all the teams the best of luck, Uh, you know, not only uh, tonight, but tomorrow night 
uh, as well. And it's going to be a good way to kick off week three. Uh, you know, we talked about it. We're heading down uh, tonight to go check out the Combs Coyotes and the Eastmark uh, Firebirds. So I'm hoping that this one turns out uh, f- to be a good matchup. But I'm excited, man. It's another week. Uh, we're here. It seems like it's going faster and faster. And man. before you know it, we're going to be halfway through the season. But is there anything else that uh, you feel we need to talk about before we close the show? I, I, I feel like I need to touch on this. I don't know how soon uh, your family listens to the episodes as they drop. One thing I want to say is we're going down to Tucson. I want to get there early because one thing I'm planning is to take a trip down to Wingsy Moss, enjoy ourselves some wings, nachos, and anything that I may find delicious on that menu, and go in to this Vista Grande and Pueblo game with a full stomach and a buttload of excitement. I can't agree more. You're going to definitely enjoy Wings and Moss. I mean, my wife goes there almost, it seems like, weekly now, you know, uh, for lunch at work. But a great uh, atmosphere, good place. Uh, they will be playing uh, the game uh, that we're broadcasting uh, Friday night. So big shout-outs to them. Uh, also, one more thing, if you are a senior or you're a parent of a senior who's interested in playing in a senior bowl, uh, you know, Mr. Rodney Cox and Game Time Recruiting and Consulting, they're taking their nominations uh, for uh, senior players that want to play. Uh, it does cost $800 uh, to participate, but at the same time, uh, you're going to uh, be able to uh, meet with some college coaches that will be in attendance. They will have a media day that we're going to be able to go live for. And then, of course, they got a lot of free stuff that you get to take home with you. Not only will it be, uh, you know, your football uniform you get to take home, but the pit Viper glasses, the Gatorade swag bag, the game time swag bag. And it's always such a great time. I always uh, talk with the players that have played uh, previously and they said one of the funnest games they've got to play this year so if you're interested you know or uh, you're a parent that might be interested in uh, getting your kid uh, nominated uh, just go to their website they have their nomination uh, page right there and uh, let's get some representation from Pinal County because it's going to be a great game for sure last year's senior bowl was definitely fun this year is we're going to take it to a whole nother level Rodney's vision of what he is planning with this Senior Bowl is only getting better and better with every day that is passing. So I know come January when this event is right in front of us, just like this season came so fast, it's going to be so fun to share that experience and to get to know these players that are going to be coming from all over the state. One thing that I would like to ask, and I know this this might be a reach, is to have them bring their helmets because to have them sit their helmet down in front of us in the camera to have that in shot, it, it does a great boost for the morale of that city and that high school. They get to see a player from their school in a place where you know they don't normally get to be. Mm-hmm. And for us to be a part of that experience for them, I'm going to be forever grateful to just be a part of that. So that same excitement and that same type of energy I'm looking forward to when the Senior Bowl comes around. Hey, I couldn't have said it any better, brother. And, you know, we're going to leave the episode right there. Uh, we want to thank you all for joining us. And like we said, good luck uh, to our teams Friday night. Go out there, leave it all out on the field. And if you happen to be taking that trip down to Tucson, come say what's up to us as we're going to be uh, seeing that game of the week between the Spartans and the Warriors. So 
with that being said, sir, I know you got one, uh, some final words for us. Take it easy. <laughs>